Now when Athaliah, Ahaziah's mother, saw that her son was dead, she set about to destroy all the royal family. But Jehoshaphat, King Joram's daughter, Ahaziah's sister, took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's children, who were about to be killed. She put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus she hid him from Athaliah, so that he was not killed. He remained with her for six years, hidden in the house of the Lord, while Athaliah reigned over the land. Athaliah is a fascinating biblical character, whose story is told in 2 Kings chapter 11. She is the only queen to rule over the nation of Judah, and is often ignored and forgotten. The Bible certainly doesn't offer a positive view of her at all, but I've got to assume that part of that stems from an extreme patriarchal view that flows through the entire Bible. The writers of the Bible could not tolerate the idea of a woman having that kind of power. I would also note that her reign seems to mark, at least initially, the end of the line of King David. When she assumes the throne, and she herself is not a descendant of King David, but rather a descendant of the king of Israel, King Ahab, that seems to be the end of the line for David's house. And that's a big deal in the biblical literature especially given the great promise offered to the house of David that it would last forever. But, of course, that turns out not to be the case, and the line is fortunately saved by the brave action of another woman. I've always found that resolution to be maybe a little bit too convenient, but it makes for a great story. This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 3.2 Tournament with Fancy Chairs Athalia had never been happy in Jerusalem. She had come here for one reason only, to cement the alliance between the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of her father, Israel. She had never loved her husband, Jehoram, but then again she had never been expected to. That was not what a princess was supposed to do. She was supposed to marry in order to create alliances or gains for her father's kingdom. And so, as a dutiful daughter, Athalia had gone and married the king of the backward city of Jerusalem. She had never forgotten why she was there. She consistently encouraged her husband, and when he died her son, to maintain their ties to Israel and to support the king and his family there with everything that they had and they had done so. Unfortunately, it had not ended well. Jehoram had always been a sickly man, 
and she was not overly surprised when he died in agony. In fact, she was kind of thrilled to see her son, Ahaziah, anointed as king in Jerusalem. Here, finally, was an opportunity to pursue her true goal, to make sure that Judah supported the nation of Israel in all its affairs. It was at her urging, therefore, that Ahaziah formed an alliance with Israel and went to fight against the Arameans. Despite his best efforts, however, the campaign was not entirely successful. The king of Israel was severely wounded and had to return home to recover. Ahaziah returned to Jerusalem dejected after his first foray into international affairs, but his mother chided him. My son, you must support the king of Israel, my brother, in all things. The kingdom of Israel is strong and prosperous, and your puny kingdom is nothing in comparison. Why have you left the king to languish alone as he seeks to recover from his wounds? You must go to him. You must tell him that all will be well, and that the next campaign against the Arameans will be successful. Go, my son, and do not return until my brother has recovered. And so Ahaziah headed off to Samaria. This would become the greatest regret of Athaliah's life. The coup that was carried out against the king of Israel was brutal and complete. It was engineered by Jehu, one of the king's commanders, who had been egged on by one of the company of the prophets, which had been a bane to the existence of Queen Jezebel for years. Jehu rose up and with his treacherous supporters wiped out the entire family of the king so that he could take the king's place. Athaliah's son, King Ahaziah of Jerusalem, was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. He got caught up in the general slaughter. When Athaliah got the news of the terrible coup in Samaria, she was devastated, and she was furious. All of a sudden, she was the only living remnant of her family, the great noble family of Israel. She knew that she had only one reason left to live, and that reason was to take vengeance on the traitor, King Jehu of Israel. She quickly seized upon the best way in which to get her vengeance. Athaliah cared little for the succession rules in Jerusalem. She knew that the annoying priests would insist that some descendant of her deceased husband should sit upon the throne following the death of her son. With her son dead and most of the other king children of Jehoram lost to raids and battles through the years, a single raid by the Arabs and Ethiopians had taken most of his family from him, there were very few who could actually claim the throne. As was the common practice in Jerusalem, and her own, as her own husband had done when he had first come to power, Athaliah swiftly took care of anyone who could make a credible claim to be king of Judah, as well as those who had no real claim. This was a crisis, and she knew that in a crisis any sort of succession conflict could be fatal. And so Athaliah became the first reigning queen of Judah, and in that position 
she did what she could to bring stability to Jerusalem. She used the resources that she knew best. Her mother, Jezebel, had managed to build up the political system in the kingdom of Israel by drawing on the wisdom and education of the priestly class of the god Baal. And so Athaliah reached out to this group as well and put them into positions of authority where many of them did quite well. All the while, of course, Athaliah never forgot her main goal, which was to take vengeance on the rebel Jehu. It became the only thing that gave meaning to her life. And so did Athaliah reign over Judah for six years. Not everyone was content in Jerusalem to live under the rule of a reigning queen. This was particularly true in the Temple of Jerusalem, which had been built by King Solomon. There the priests of the god Yahweh resented the important role that the priests of Baal had been given in government and resented the loss of their own privilege. No one was more upset than Jehoiada, the high priest of Yahweh. He and his wife, Jehoshaphat, chafed under the rule of Athaliah and longed for a return to the rule of a king, and especially a king who would protect their ancient rights and privileges in the city. But it seemed that there was nothing that they could do. The house of David was finished. Now, Jehoshaphat, the wife of the high priest, was in fact of royal blood. She was a daughter of King Jehoram, Queen Athaliah's dead husband, though by another mother than the previous king. She had thus been half-sister to King Ahaziah, Athaliah's son. She and her husband Jehoiada had one son, Joash, who had been born around the time when Jehoshaphat's father, the king, had died. They had never presented their son at the court or really spoken much about him because they knew full well that it could be very dangerous for him just to exist as a male of royal blood in Jerusalem in the days after the death of a king. Now, one day, Jehoshaphat noticed something and she had an idea. She called her son to her and together went with him to talk to her husband the priest. My lord, I ask you to consider your son Joash. He is only seven years old, and yet already he looks to be the very image of his grandfather, the king. As he continues to grow, I am convinced the resemblance will also grow. This could be dangerous for him, of course, but it could also be a great opportunity for me, and for you, and for the God that you serve. I have found a nurse who is willing to declare that she is the one who raised this child from when he was a year old. This is the story that we will spread. I will declare that when Queen Athaliah took her throne, when she originally cut off all of the males of, her, of the family of her husband, that there was a child, the son of her son, in the royal nursery. I will confess that I saved the child, gave him to the nurse, and raised him in the safety of the house of the Lord. O oh, my wife! replied her husband. I think that I understand what you are saying, but surely your plan is fraught with risks. Will this rumor, once spread, 
not only serve to make our son a target of the queen. She might see it as a threat, but who else would believe it? Who would believe that the queen would target her own grandson for death? Would she not rather put him on the throne, though only a year old, and rule as queen regnant for as long as she wanted? No, no, people will not believe it. This is not about what is true, nor even about what is believable, my husband. It is about how the people feel about the queen. I've heard grumbling in the marketplaces. The nobles are upset. They believe that the queen is interested in only one thing. She is only interested in getting her revenge on King Jehu of Israel. She is failing to take care of her own people, and they will not stand for that for very long. They do not need a believable lie. They will accept any rationality that you can present if you do it correctly. Doing it correctly took a great deal of planning. Before the announcement of the discovery of a new Davidic king could be made, it took some time for the priest to carefully weed out those members of the guard who could be counted on to commit treason for the sake of the ancestral god of the people, Yahweh. But after several weeks of whispered conversations and backroom meetings, he had a significant number of the guards who would be going off duty on the following Sabbath, who were ready to commit to the cause. As they were going off duty, the problem was that they would not have access to their weapons. Now, fortunately, since ancient times, there had been ceremonial weapons stored within the house of the Lord. The spears and shields were not in the best of condition, having lain in a deserted treasury room for decades, but the priest had them secretly sharpened and polished until at least they would be serviceable. Finally the day arrived. The off-duty guards reported to the temple and were given the restored weapons, and the young boy, Joash, was revealed as the son of Ahaziah, grandson of Athaliah. The next watch of the guards, just reporting for duty, were quickly recruited into the coup. Any who resisted, sadly, had to be quickly executed. The boy was made to stand by the central pillar of the temple, the traditional place where the king was anointed, and the oil was poured onto his head to the general acclaim of all present. Judah had a new king, a king of the line of David, which had now been saved. The royal residence was only separated by a narrow alley from the house of Yahweh. So there was no way that the queen was going to be unaware of what was happening in the temple. When the temple erupted with the loud shouting of many men and the striking of shields against spears, it interrupted a meeting of Athalia with her advisors. Always a woman of action, she immediately jumped up and left the room headed for the source of the disturbance. 
Even her advisors and personal guards were stunned by her sudden exit, and so they followed her, but only several paces behind. Athalia burst into the temple and immediately took in the scene, recognizing its meaning. She did not know the boy who stood there at the center of the throng, but the fact that he stood there beside the pillar where the kings of Judah had always been anointed, the fact that the priest stood beside him holding a horn of oil, required no interpretation at all. Treason! Treason! It is treason in my own royal city! Guards, to me! Protect your ruler! But the only guards present in that moment were of no mind to protect the queen. They stood there, stony silent, for she had interrupted their shouts of triumph. They stared at her, and she knew that she was undone. She ripped her clothes, exposing her breasts. In that moment she remembered the story that she had heard of how her mother, Jezebel, had done the very same thing in the end, when she was betrayed by Jehu. Athalia wept and continued to whimper the same words. Treason! Treason! While the guards slowly drew near. They likely would have torn her apart on the spot, the priest intervened. Not here, he said, not in the temple. Do you want to pollute this place? They took her out, through the horse entrance, and slay her, and anyone who would stand with her, at the doorstep of her own house. The day's work was not over. The new king was taken through the city and presented to all of the leading families who pledged their allegiance to him, as if they had any other choice in the matter. Once power had been consolidated, the priest led his loyal soldiers to the temple of Baal. The priests were waiting. They had heard the news and had been expecting this. Jehoiada, the priest had absolutely no hesitation and no regrets for contaminating that particular temple with the blood of many murder victims. Jehoiada and his wife, Jehoshaba, had a great deal of trouble sleeping that night, even though they were now comfortably established in the regent's quarters of the royal palace. They were filled with nervous energy from the events of the day, and they talked late into the night. They were pleased, of course, with how everything had gone, but Jehoshaba could not help but express some sorrow. I feel blessed, my lord, for on this day I have finally won the king that my heart has yearned for. But may I not also weep for the son that I have lost. Joash can never know who he really is. He must act with courage and decisiveness, and must never doubt his claim to the throne is entirely legitimate. 
Yes, yes, you may weep, my beloved, replied her husband, and I shall weep also. I fear that I will never have another opportunity to be a father, and that you will never bear another child. It is a doom that I feel in my bones, the cost we must pay for the deception we have carried out. But again, how can I regret it? I feel today as if the throne of Judah has been saved and the role of Yahweh in this nation preserved. I will direct our son, I mean the king, to restore the temple and the worship that we carry out. It is a new beginning for us and our people. Surely this is worth the cost. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 6, God speaks directly to King David to make this promise. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And the idea that springs from that promise, the idea that the house of David will never fail to produce an heir to sit on the throne, is a powerful idea that runs through much of Scripture. It is the basis for the idea of a Messiah, an heir to the throne of King David, who will come to save the nation, an idea that is powerfully taken up in the Christian tradition, which identifies Jesus as just such an heir. The idea was always somewhat problematic in practical terms. The last man of the line of King David to sit on the throne in Jerusalem is identified as Jehoiachin, who was deprived of his crown by the king of Babylon. But I've always wondered if the direct line of David even actually made it that far. When the queen mother, Athaliah, takes the throne in Jerusalem upon the death of her son, it certainly appears as if the line of David is spent. Her son is dead, and there are some pretty strong indications that the entire line has already been wiped out before she comes along. According to Second Chronicles chapter 21, Athaliah's husband, Jehoram, had killed all of his brothers when he first ascended to the throne. That was pretty much standard practice. You can't have questions of succession muddying things up. And then Jehoram had his own family almost completely wiped out by an invasion of Philistines and Arabs. So there's a real question whether there was anyone left when Athaliah assumed the throne. Yes, it is quite likely that she would have wiped out any rival claimants, as this was standard practice. But would she really have targeted her own grandsons, if any of those still existed? I don't ask that question merely because I think that she might have perhaps had some human feelings. It's also a very practical question. For the past year, she had effectively ruled as queen mother and regent through her son. Would she not find it even easier to do so through a young and pliable grandson? So, 
I don't really think that it's all that far-fetched to assume that when Athalia took the throne, the direct line of David really had come to an end. When, six years later, a new claimant to the throne suddenly appears out of nowhere, a seven-year-old boy who just happens to be deeply indebted to a priest who serves a god whose temple has fallen into hard times because of the queen's antagonism towards that god? Let's just say that it seems a little bit convenient. Now, please understand me, I'm not saying that King Joash absolutely was an imposter. I don't know. I kind of suspect, though, that Queen Athalia might have thought that he was, and many supporters of her rule may have thought likewise. The story we have told for us in the Book of Kings is a story that was compiled within the court of the descendants of King Joash. How could they have even admitted any possibility other than that he was a legitimate heir of the House of David? I just like to imagine how people who were not so invested in the continuing line of David might have told the story of the succession of King Joash. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. Join us at the end of next month as we explore another biblical story that might just change how you think about God. In the meantime, tell other people and rate and review this episode on iTunes or some other platform to help other people find it. The theme music for the podcast is Ah Da by Kevin MacLeod. The mood music for this episode is Cinema Blockbuster Trailer 14 and Image Firm 43, both by Sasha Ende. The music is licensed under the Creative Commons, and you will find links to it in the show notes. Send your requests, comments, and questions to Retelling Bible on Twitter or to our Facebook page, Retelling the Bible. Show notes and commentary for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. Thanks to Gabrielle McCandless for playing both Athalia and Jehoshaphat in this episode. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless. <laughs>